0: Before, before you two leave, let me say that of the five people up here, four of them are public school music teachers, and one more is hoping to find work in that realm, and we'll pray for that. Um, but it's, have you started yet? No. Soon, though. Soon, yes. Yeah, so they're fixing to start. Please keep these people in your prayers. Um, please keep their schools in your prayers, the children that they'll be influencing. Um, thank you for what you do. The specialties are important to education, regardless of what any budget might tell you. Yeah, thank you for what you do. And thank you too for your service to your church. So we, um, you thought you were done with the Older Testament, I'm sure, last week, but it did, didn't work out that way because here's what's happening. Um, On what will be the first Sunday of the month, which is our Communion Sundays here at Vance, um, we get the story of the Passover, so it makes sense, all that preaching I was doing about communion a few months ago, um, it makes sense to tie communion to the Passover, and so we wanted to do that, and then on the 13th, I am going, using a vacation day to go to St. Clairsville and commissioned two different lay pastors. And so you're going to see all that Jane has learned this summer preaching somewhere else. She's got a couple of months worth of preaching under her belt. And so on on September 13th, she's going to be here and preach. And the story is the story of the Red Sea. And she really wanted to preach that story. So we're still in, I'm sorry, sorry to report, or not really, but um, we're still in the Older Testament. So we're going to hear a little bit about Moses here in the next couple of weeks. Um, it's great stuff, and it continues on with the stories that we have been hearing all throughout Genesis this summer. Of course, the lectionary passage always has gospel texts, and we're in the Gospel of Matthew, the 16th chapter, and hear from the 13th verse now. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And so we pick up today from Exodus. Now, as you remember, we have all summer studied the family of Abraham. We looked at Abraham, we looked at Isaac, we looked at Jacob, and then we looked at Jacob's youngest son, Joseph, And Joseph, of course, was sold into slavery by his brothers and ends up being the second man in charge of all of Egypt. And he brings his family from the the land of Canaan down to the land of Goshen, and they live there together as people bound together in community, but people from a different And strange land. And I'm going to pick up, just Keith, just leave that where that is, but I'm going to pick up in verse 7 of the first chapter of Exodus. Note what happens. In verse 8, where this starts, there's an abrupt change. Okay? Because verse 7 says this But the Israelites were fruitful and prolific they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Change of pace. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not remember Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them or they will increase, and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. And the Egyptians became ruthless, imposing tasks on the Israelites, and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick, and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them king of Egypt, said to them, said to the Hebrew midwives, one who was named Shiphrah and the other Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, she can live. But the midwives feared God, and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? And the midwives were smart. And they said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives. The people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw in the Nile, but you can let the girls live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. When she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus ark for him and plastered it with, with tar and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and while her attendants walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to fetch it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying, and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. And his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get a nurse for you from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse it for me, and when I give you, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. And when the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. And she named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here's what I want you to remember from today. Even though your blessing may seem like a curse, it's still a blessing. Okay? Everybody say out loud, still a blessing. Imagine how difficult it must have been for the Israelites to believe that they were God's blessed people. Approximately 400 years have passed since Joseph saved the Egyptian and his own people from the sure and certain death of starvation during the famine. They have gone from being God's blessed people to Egypt's suspicious people. Watch what Pharaoh says about them. Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase and in the event of war join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. I want to tell you it's never good when a politician says, let us deal shrewdly with the people. first thing we must understand about this is that it is never anywhere documented that this is true there is absolutely no factual evidence none that the Hebrews were more numerous than the Egyptians. In fact, it doesn't make any sense. If the Hebrews were more numerous than the Egyptians, it would be Hebrew land, not Egypt. This is all made-up propaganda. So lesson one from today is, for four to 6,000 years, national rulers and politicians have used the tactic of turning those different from us into the enemy. The feared, the ones to be thrown, and thrown into slavery, gas chambers, ovens, prisons, refugee camps, whatever it is, this is not a new kind of rhetoric. And note the irony here remember what God promised Abraham all those years ago? Two things. Land of their own and people. Descendants. Lots and lots of people. God promised the Israelites they would be more numerous than the grains of sand on the seas or the stars in the sky. And now that reality is the very thing that, Hebrew, that, that, that Pharaoh is trying to use against them. There's too many of them for us to fight against, is the argue Pharaoh uses, to heighten suspicion against the Israelites, it appears appears that their blessing has actually become a curse. And watch what the Hebrew midwives do, these brilliant, brilliant women, right? They use this same rhetoric, this nonsense that, that Pharaoh has said about the Hebrew people. Against him, and he doesn't even know it. He sends for the midwives because he's given this order that all the baby boys should be killed, and they're not doing it. And Pharaoh's not dumb, he can look around and say, Oh, look, there's baby boys here. What's going on? He sends for the women and said, I told you to kill them. Why aren't you doing it? What's happening? And they say, well, Pharaoh, you know how those people are. You know how the, how the Hebrew women are. They're earthy women. They're women not like the sophisticated, beautiful women of Egypt. They're women, you know, they just pop those babies out and go back to work. They're not like your women. (laughs) They're brilliant. He spouted off this propaganda and they turn it around on him and use it as a way to say, yeah, that's not what happened. They're not giving birth the same way that other people do. They've taken the curse that Pharaoh has used in the blessing and turned it back into a blessing. Isn't that fabulous? Okay, everybody say out loud, still a blessing. Yeah, we're getting there. You're going to get it. I'm trying to think of a way to get you to apply this to your own lives. And I've been thinking a lot about this, I guess because we've been overpainting at the school a lot. And, you know, the big topic on everybody's mind is what's going to happen when school starts? And even should school start? What do we do about school right now is the overarching theme. And I know very well that there are people in this room who have opinions that range from over here to over here. And that's all fine. We can have our differences of opinion, be civil about them, and still love one another in community. We can do that. And that's the kind of conversations we were having. Yeah, kids have to be in school, no kids shouldn't be in school, blah, blah, blah. And then somebody starts to say, you know, has anybody thought about what happens if the teachers get sick from this? I thought, well, that's interesting. I that's not part of the conversation that I've heard much about. And I started to think about, and there are a lot of teachers, there are a lot of teachers in this room, there are a lot of people in our congregation who have been and are teachers, so I think you can understand this. Teaching and doing it really well and doing it from your soul is a gift. in most cases, I think, a God-given gift. It is a blessing to be a teacher. If you have ever had a teacher who really loves their craft and their kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Those are the people that influence lives every day. They are blessings. And yet, as I listened to this conversation I started to think for them perhaps this blessing that has been given to them might seem like a curse it's so hard right now to know what to do and know what the right thing is but it's still a blessing right you're going to get it about all the things in your life that you consider, not just gifts, because gifts are God-given. We can't get them from God. We can't say to God, you know, I'd really like to be a gifted organist. No, I lost that ability when I was eight years old, and when Debbie was sitting at the piano practicing, her little fingers to the bone, and I was out watching MASH on TV. It doesn't work that way. Gifts are things given to you by God, but blessings are something different. Blessings are given by God, but in a different way. So think about the things in your life that are blessings your marriage, for many of you, your children, your grandchildren, your work, your home. Those are blessings. But when the storm happens and the tree falls on your roof, sometimes it feels like a curse. When the stuff the mining did causes your foundation to cave in, am I right back there in the back? Sometimes it feels like a curse. But it's still a blessing. Oh, now you got it. Those things that can be hard, can be difficult, can be tough, don't negate the fact that what you've been given is a blessing. Many of those are simply just part of life. And oftentimes, when you come through those things, you appreciate your blessing even more. If you've ever had a particularly difficult time in your marriage and you've lasted through it, you know you're blessed. If you've ever had a teenager in your house, you know what I'm talking about. One of those times when you don't know if you're rubbing, your he- rubbing their head to give them love or rubbing their head to check for horns... right? And you've worked through that. Many of you have adult children now who you're friends with even. That's a blessing. When the tree falls on your roof and the insurance company comes in and rebuilds that roof better and stronger than it ever was, you know you have a blessing. Now watch, there's a third way in this text that we know that sometimes your blessing can seem like a curse, but it's still a blessing. And here's where it is. Pharaoh's daughter is essentially the pris- the princess of the land. We can think of her that way. Is out bathing, and she has these attendants who are watching for crocodile and hippopotamus. That's no lie. That's what they were out there for. And they find this ark, this basket, this pitched, tarred thing that Jehoabad has put Moses in. And sent him down the river. And she finds it and she goes, oh, look, a Hebrew baby. Isn't he cute? Don't miss this part of the story. Because what, as a good Egyptian woman, was she supposed to do the minute she found that baby? Drowned him in the Nile. That was her patriotic duty, her national duty to her own father's rule. She was supposed to drown that baby. But she didn't do it. She very easily could have been in big trouble with the king with the Pharaoh for not abiding by his law. Well, that would have been a curse to her blessing, wouldn't it? But that baby was still a blessing. Still a blessing. And he would become a blessing, we're going to learn, a blessing to his people. Moses, literally in Hebrew, means the one drawn out. She called him that because he was drawn out of the river. But don't forget the blessings that God has laid upon the people who went before him. Joseph was drawn out of a well and sold into slavery. His blessing looked like a curse, but he became the man who had the food to save his people from starvation. Moses was drawn out of the river. His blessing looked like a curse. He should have been drowned right then, but instead he was allowed to live, and he would be the one that would bring his people out of slavery. Jesus was the one who was drawn out of heaven to walk on earth as a human Man, giving up all eternity, all divinity, all things godly. He emptied himself. That blessing may have looked lost. And yet... He became the Savior of the world. Your blessing may look like a curse, but it's still a blessing. Amen.